a conversation about service to others because you are the breadwinner, you are the protector. One is in a, you know, king of the mountain kind of way and one is in a subservient role, but no one has been taught that when you take care of yourself and you make self-care exactly what you described it about food, about rest, about exercise, about knowing yourself in oneness, that that's where we actually get to contribute to the world. Welcome to the Healing Ground Movement, a podcast dedicated to revolutionizing how we think about our bodies and our health. I'm your host, Dr. Carly Hudson, DC, and I have lived my life in pursuit of holistic healing and care that goes beyond symptom management. If you've been listening and like what you're hearing, head over to your favorite platform and leave us a review so we can reach more people with our important message. Enjoy today's episode. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Healing Ground Movement podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Carly Hudson, and joining me today, I have the phenomenal Cynthia James. And if you haven't had the pleasure of hearing Cynthia talk before, her message and her style of speech will just carry you away. So I'm really excited to have her join us today. She's an international speaker, teacher, and leadership coach, best-selling author, and passionate supporter of women. So thank you so much, Cynthia, for joining us on the podcast. Oh, Carly, I'm so happy to be here with you. Thank you so much. Wonderful. Well, to get us started, just so everyone can know a little bit more about you, can you tell us what brought you to this realization of, of supporting and changing how women take care of ourselves? It's such a big message and a very personal one for you. Well, you know, I, I'm going to kind of start at the beginning. I, mm-hmm. I, I, I was brought up by a single mother. Um, um, I was and we were struggling, we were on welfare and it was a struggle. And I come from generations of women who've struggled, who've been abused, traumatized. And, and there was no concept of self-care. It was all about survival. Mm-hmm. And so that, those are the messages that were, that were passed down to all the kids and the, the, the cousins and the grandkids. And, um, but there was something in me that kept thinking, this can't be it. This can't be the whole thing. And so it started me on this journey of, 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 of curiosity, really. And I had a grandmother, you know, who really, who was a fighter for life. You know, she had had the kids in the South. She was a single mom. She moved people up North. She wanted everybody to get some education. She worked really hard and got her own, um, uh, house and went back to nursing school in her late forties. And she was the possibility model in my life. Mm-hmm. Mm. She, she knew I, she knew I loved art and creativity. She knew I wanted to, um, um, be an actress. Cause I had seen a Betty Davis movie <laughs> and I thought that's what I want to do. And I, you know, <laughs> I said in my TED talk, I didn't realize she wasn't black. It was just <laughs> was doing what I wanted to do, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. everything in my life was, was me awakening to mm-hmm. understanding that there were possibilities, even if I couldn't see them in the moment. Mm-hmm. Well, and I love this, this way that you talk about her being your possibility model, because as we talk about what we see as possible, what we see as achievable for us, so much as an individual, any, you know, any place that we are in the world, so much of it comes from the lessons we're taught and the stories that we're given, and perhaps that way out or that different way of thinking. 
And so her being that for you ended up being a pretty crucial piece of, of what brought you to where you are now. Yeah. It, it, you know, uh, it was like, she was an angel on earth, you know, and she was saying, you know, or in the wizard of Oz, look behind, (laughs) you know, I mean, yes, yes, yeah, yeah. So what came from starting to look towards that possibility and, you know, becoming, cause, cause you did a spoiler, you did become an actress. You are, you, in, um, you enacted that dream, but coming from, you know, the, the stories of your beginning and what you were told about hard work and what limitations are, how did that shift happen for you? Well, you know, my mother um, had a mantra was like, get educated. Right. So mm-hmm. So for me, school became a place where I could expand, mm-hmm. even though we were on welfare and even though, you know, we moved all the time and food was interesting. And mm-hmm. my mother, you know, had to work really hard to do anything for us. Mm-hmm. Um, at school, I realized I could excel. So my grades were good. I was in the chess club, the debate club. I, I was in the French club. I mean, I, I, I became a, a model for a department store in mm-hmm. the city. I started doing all of these things and singing with a band because, I, because what I started to realize is, is like, even though home looks like this in school, you know, it, it's upon your merit and what you bring and and the Mm -hmm. gift that you have. And so that, that started opening for me and my curiosity. Well, you know, because at that time in in the department store, there had not been a black model, you know, Mm -hmm. but I was curious enough to try to go in there and and audition. You, you come at it with that same bit of, of chutzpah that goes behind it, though, because even the the possibility and the opening up for it, you know, because I know in your TED talk, you mentioned about one of your family members, and I love this phrase that you use, so um, the, that you talk about the kitchen wisdom that you get, and and how there's sort of, there's the possibility that comes with it, but it's also the restrictions that come with the limitations of some of these stories, and so I think this really great example, as you mentioned, was about hard work and hard work has to pay off. And on the one hand in your TED talk, you mentioned how, um, no, my life can be easy. I can be fun, but it was still that mantra of hard work and and that chutzpah, I'm going to go try this out. I'm going to go be curious about it. And it still created that opportunity. There's a lot of duality within that wisdom. Oh, completely. I mean, it, it was almost like, it was like flipping sides all the time because because even as I as I grew up and my grandmother was no longer on the planet her her kitchen wisdom from her was about safety mm-hmm. you know it was about keep your head down work hard don't make any trouble you know you know you know so that you can you can move ahead and then as I got older and I started you know, exploring kind of positive thinking and all those things and how the brain works it was really about well I got to do something to create an antidote for that information because her voice was in my head (laughs) that, you know, that's too scary. Mm -hmm. Don't go over there. You know, you may not be safe. And so, so I had to work really hard to get to the place where I could, I could create my own kitchen wisdom based on what I know today. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and having that voice in our head, we've all, we've all got that kind of monkey brain happening in the back, these com- conversations that just tell us that we can't, that tell us where, where the limitations are and where, um, where our hangups are. And there's always this need to listen or step away. And I know you dove really deep into the um, neurology of it, the plasticity of what can we do to, um, to change that and to have a different opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there is, um, I'm, 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 I'm a coach and so I'm certified in this modality mm-hmm. called clarity. And there's a, a part of clarity called shift and it talks about above and below the line. And mm-hmm. what it says is that when you are in a place of discomfort or dis-ease or confusion, it's really a choice point. And you get to choose if you're going to be afraid and anxious and exhausted and go into that place, or you can move above the line where you get enthusiastic and excited and you move into trust. But it's all about the brain. It's all about changing your thinking mm-hmm. so that you can change the neural paths in your brain. We were not taught that as kids. I mean, that that wasn't in school. And mm-hmm. so it was kind of a, a great aha for me to absolutely see this information and think, can I use this (laughs) to change my life? Mm -hmm. And then how, how did you apply it? How did it work? Oh, it was uh, therapy. (laughs) (laughs) It was was having a therapist. It was having a spiritual counselor, but it was Mm -hmm. also really looking at my self-talk. Mm-hmm. And so it really became, you know, in in quantum physics, they talk about activating your witness. And Mm -hmm. so it was really getting connected to my witness and and stepping back so that I could see, oh, oh, no, I'm I'm beating myself up. Oh, no, I'm telling myself I can't. And then in that moment, I I created affirmations and vision boards, (laughs) all kinds of stuff around me that would that would show me the antithesis of what Mm -hmm. I was thinking and pretty soon well over time what started happening is that the affirmative way of living took precedent over that Mm -hmm. self-talk and what I love is that you mentioned this this over time and this practice movement to it because you know as we're chatting before we hit record here you know a lot of how we take care of ourselves and and particularly as women, but how we take care of ourselves and envision ourselves in the world comes from a lot of these scripts about what we're told we can do or what we're worth putting our time into. And so much of that keeps us from taking care of ourselves and having that opportunity to do more and be more, to, to rewrite that kitchen wisdom. And I know that became kind of that, that big pa- passionate drive of yours. And, and so much so that, that you wrote a book with just such a phenomenal title, the, the I Choose Me. And yeah. what does that mean to, to put yourself first that way? You know, it's interesting because when I first started writing the book, I thought I was writing it for other people. And then I realized as I was writing it, it was as much for me as it was for other people. But mm-hmm. in the research that I was doing to write the book, you know, um, the, the tagline of the book is the art of being a phenomenally successful woman at home and at work, because I think there is artistry to it. Mm-hmm. I think there's creativity. Until mm-hmm. the early 1900s, women were possessions. 
you know, we were, we were to take care of the home. We were to procreate, you know, that, that was our job. And even if we worked outside of the home in any way, it was to mirror those roles. So as women started to emerge with mm-hmm. suffrage and all those kinds of things, you know, it began um, a process of overcoming because, I mean, mm-hmm. there are all kinds of quotes and things about what were written about us that, you know, that we grew faster than boys because we were weeds and, you know, all these kinds of weird things, you know. And so yeah. it was really about, it was about what tools do I have and what tools have I learned and what tools mm-hmm. have I created that I can share with women because I actually think this is a time of women emerging on the planet in powerful ways to bring mm-hmm. our voices, to bring our gifts, you know, to, you know, to bring our, um, our consciousness mm-hmm. and our extraordinary ability to nurture the whole. Mm-hmm. I agree. I, there, there is, well, I mean, when we go through so much change and so much crisis, it always brings out a cultural shift one way or another. And here it really feels like there is more room. There's more space for understanding what women can bring, what that nurturing aspect and what that looking at holistic growth can be. And in creating that space, we also have to rewrite a lot of our cultural rules and history where that's not what we've been taught. That's not what we grew up knowing. And we look across the generations and, you know, I've remembered, you know, no, needing to learn where a woman's place was and how to, how to act like a lady. I always joke, my grandmother tried to raise, you know, my mom and her sister as a lady and then made a final stab with me and just it all flamed out. But it was still part of this indoctrine language. And so, and even so now self-care, this idea of self-care has been um, diluted and disseminated into this idea of a bubble bath once a month and go get a massage and make sure you get your manicure pedicure. And that's not what we're talking about here, is it? No. Mm-hmm. Well, and let me tell you, you know, I had um, a few uh, awakening moments. Um, you know, they say that the universe whispers to you, taps you on the shoulder, and then there's a two by four. And um, I, I, I had several things that happened in my life that were really messengers that I wasn't paying attention to. But about eight years ago, um, I am tired. My husband is saying, you know, what's wrong with you? I was like, I don't know, you know, I, you know, um, because I'm doing what I loved. You know, I, I was, um, uh, an associate minister. I was teaching. Uh, I was speaking. I oversaw the women's ministry, the GLBTQ ministry, mm-hmm. the music ministry. I mean, my it was it was the dream job that I created. Mm-hmm. But the thing that was interesting about it is, it's like I couldn't figure out why I was so tired, and so I finally gave in to my husband bugging me, and I went to the doctor. And what we discovered was that my adrenals were headed towards failure, a thing called Addison's disease. And so um, when I went to the senior minister at Mile High, you know, he was adamant that I take a sabbatical because he said, you're playing with your life here, right? Mm -hmm. So in that three months, something extraordinary happened, you know, because I think I sort of looked at self-care the same way you just described. Oh, I'll go get a massage. Oh, I'll get my nails done. Um, you know, 
But what happened in, in that time is because I had no um, emails. I wasn't working. I mean, literally everything was gone. And all I had to do was be present. Now, I've been meditating for close to 40 years. So, so meditation wasn't a problem. But this is what I realized. I could meditate, but I couldn't be still. Because everything in me was about accomplishment. It was really about my value and how I identified myself was in what I achieved. Mm-hmm. So I, it was, oh my goodness, such an awakening because I also, in, I told you about the five generations of women and um, oh my gosh, my dogs have just jumped on me. Um, <laughs> Sorry, we can give them a moment to chill. <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. Um, so what, what happened was um, when I looked at the five generations of women, they all left the planet um, overweight, ill, some kind of dis-ease and emotional stress. I looked at myself in that moment and I was 35 pounds heavier than I am today, which meant that I was eating my stress. <laughs> it's got to go somewhere. <laughs> it also meant that, that, that if I accomplished something, it was never enough. So I, I had to set the next goal and keep moving mm-hmm. and it was burning out my adrenals. And so I had to change everything. I had to clean out my pantry I mean, I didn't eat badly, but it, I, it wasn't totally clean. Mm-hmm. I had to start working out. I had to up-level my spiritual practice so that I really could, could really get deeper into what was driving me. Mm-hmm. And at the end of that three months, what I realized is that I really, um, I really had to reevaluate who was Cynthia. Mm-hmm. What did she really want? And could she put herself first? One of the things that I talk about in the book is that the enculturation of women is, is that, well, people actually, the more you do for others, the, the more important you are. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's how valuable you are. And that's how you raise the frequency. And what I learned was that's backwards. That you raise the frequency by taking care of yourself, honoring yourself, loving Mm -hmm. yourself. And then you are more of a benefit for everything and everyone around you. And the more that you, it's it's such a, well, my brain just went five different directions. I love that. Uh, But (laughs) the, the more that you embody that, the easier it is to believe and see the payout. The the cosmic two by fours get to become like cosmic hugs. They're not smacking you upside the head to say, go take care of yourself. It's here's the gift of you embodying who you're supposed to be. Yes. But you are so right that it is, you know, both men and women. And I think it just uses different language about how we are encouraged to be on this planet. Women, we are very much given this language of servitude. And so as you pointed out, you know, in the 1900s, even the jobs that we could have outside the home were of service. They were nurses, they were teachers, they were secretaries. Um, you know, we weren't administ- administrative assistants yet even. And, <laughs> and so we're just, it, it's this, uh, this subtle bait and switch 
but you're still in service and you're still judged by how well you serve. And, and then you take men and we have this whole idea of confined masculinity of this fact that you can't be vulnerable and you must be able to take care of yourself and handle all the things, which is still a conversation about service to others because you are the breadwinner, you are the protector. One is in a you know king of the mountain kind of way and one is in a subservient role, but no one has been taught that when you take care of yourself and you make self-care exactly what you described it about food, about rest, about exercise, about knowing yourself in oneness, that that's where we actually get to contribute to the world. Yes. Uh, I've raised two sons and um, it really, we've had some very deep conversations over the years about this very thing about how do we get to vulnerability? How do we get to tell the truth to each other? How do we let go of the, of the armor and the masks that, mm-hmm. that, that, you know, um, several years ago, one of my sons told me a secret that I had never known and he had held for years. But the reason they told me the secret is because he was having uh, uh, an emotional um, upheaval. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so when I asked, are you not safe with me? No, I'm safe with you. Well, then why didn't you tell me this? And he said, because I was ashamed. Even though what happened had nothing to do with what he did, right? Mm-hmm. And I understood that because I had been abused as a kid and there's a part of you that thinks you, you caused it on some level. So I understood his not wanting to share this information, but I, but, what it made me realize is, is like my job was to create more of a container, more space for the children to come in, now the grandchildren mm-hmm. to come in and be able to, to speak without judgment, mm-hmm. be heard and to be understood and to not try to control or fix anything, to only... Um, offer suggestions if I'm asked. And what's the value then, you know, cause that's kind of a, that's a big pivot from these ideas of kitchen wisdom and, and setting that container of this is how we survive life. Mm-hmm. This is the trope of our family. You know, mine, we didn't air our dirty laundry and we, you know, mind our P's and Q's, but that is so different to just say, I'm going to make sure you feel safe. Now go. <laughs> Yeah, well, um, because my family didn't know how to do that. Mm. Um, in fact, there was a lot of sweeping stuff under the rug because that was the mm, that was the training. You know, you don't talk mm-hmm. about painful things. You don't talk about. You can talk about other people, but you don't mm-hmm. talk about your pain, right? And so, and so it wasn't a safe place necessarily to share your feelings, your thoughts, the things that were happening to you, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I have a client today who, who at uh, 21 years old was an innocent and there was um, a a professional person that lived in the building that would come up to her and her roommate's apartment, they'd have tea and they'd talk and they'd do all of this stuff. And it was, it was just such a, a connected relationship. And so 
um, months and months later, she was invited down to have tea and she went and that person raped her. And she wouldn't tell anybody. And she blamed herself because that person told her she had started it. It was her mm. fault. Yeah. And so, so when you think about that lineage of, of, of how we're taught, you know, when you look at, you know, how the Me Too movement came forward was all those women were in the shadows afraid to speak because it wasn't safe. It wasn't mm-hmm. safe to be heard. You wouldn't be believed or whatever it was, right? And so, so for me, it's like, I wanted to create a place where my kids, no matter what, could talk to me. And mm-hmm. even if I didn't agree with the choices they were making, that they were safe enough to tell me what they were doing. Yeah. Well, and that does set the the stage and um, the well the safe container to to say that now we can act in vulnerability. And when we act in vulnerability, we that is the beginning of showing up with authenticity. Yes. And it's n- and it's not until we can show up with authenticity that we can say, "I know what I need." Or I know that I am doing this service out of obligation, not because it fills me up or at at my sacrifice of rest and rejuvenation and adrenal fatigue instead of because I have the energy to actually do it. But when we bury all that under shame and fear, none of that can bubble up to the surface. It's such a a learned knee-jerk behavior. Right. Well, and you know what, it's, it's, it, it drains your energy and your life force. You know, um, I tell all of my clients, my job is to get you excited about your life, doing what you love and loving what you do. Because if you do that, then, then it's an energy and a soul feeding. And, mm-hmm. um, and, and because so many people, when I look at my family, because survival was the focus so many things that they didn't love, so many things that didn't enliven them. Mm-hmm. They just did it so that they could pay the bills. And I'm not saying we shouldn't all be conscious about taking care of ourselves, mm-hmm. but I really feel like if you are doing what you love, the universe syncs up with you in some way and begins mm-hmm. to open doors. Yeah. Well, and it's, and when you kind of talk about it in that way, it's not so much a light switch. And I think we're all looking for a silver bullet in some way where, you know, you, you take your sabbatical. Cool. I'm good now. And, but that's, that's not really what your advice and what your wisdom is offering and certainly not what, what your book is teaching, but you have to put a lot of effort and diligent and repetitive change into being able to be in that alignment. You have to commit to yourself in such a way that it's a non-negotiable. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then you have to start listening because we all have intuition encoded. We all have inner guidance. When I went to the University of Santa Monica, which is a master's degree program, they said two things. They said, how you deal with the issue is the issue. And, and we had to create projects that had to be completed, but it had to be in alignment with the passion in your soul, you know? And, mm-hmm. and so um, I, I just feel like you have to do that, but you also have to know that sometimes 
the guidance will change. Sometimes you will be guided to do something else that makes no sense. And, and the universe is asking, can you be obedient to your calling? And Mm -hmm. when I went back to work after my sabbatical, the next year was great. It was just wonderful. And then I started getting in this place of discontent, but nothing happened. I mean, there was no, nobody was being mean to me. There was nothing horrible (laughs) happening, but I was restless. I couldn't sleep, you know, and this went on for several months. And then, and in my, and in my meditations, I kept getting this message in my journal and get an office. And it made no sense because I had an office. <laughs> I'm like, where, where am I? Why would I do that? And then finally, I, I, I really um, finished doing this service, this candlelight service. And I walked off the platform and I literally kind of heard this voice say, you're done here. And I looked around and there was nobody there. And then I went home for two weeks for the, you know, cause after Christmas, there was a two week kind of vacation and it just kept coming. You're to leave this job. Now here's the deal though. I didn't have a plan. There was, it didn't say leave the job and then you'll go <laughs> here and do this. And then you'll do that. It didn't do that. It just said, you're, and so in that moment, and this is why I guess what I wanted to add to the people who are listening to this. Sometimes you have to take a leap of faith. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you have to listen to that inner calling and know that it's so powerful and so deep that you can trust that stepping out the net will appear. And that's exactly what happened. I, I, I got an office with two other people. I didn't have any clients. I didn't, you know, I mean, I left this job, which was crazy. It's like, you know, I got a paycheck, but it was like, just be still. And, and so for the first two years of my practice, all referral. Mm-hmm. And it made up for the money that I had given up. And it was, it was such a, a reminder because as I looked back on life, it's like every time I had a calling and I listened, something beautiful occurred. Mm-hmm. I can echo that. I mean, it is, it's a leap of faith and, and you have to, I want to say you, you, you have to know what your net is, but the net is never, well, at least to me, never something totally tangible, but it's, it's kind of a deep knowing, but it has to come from, again, that place of awareness and that place of knowing that you can hear that voice. And in this journey that you described through, you know, the sabbatical to then actually leaving, you know, it, it really strikes me that you went from your husband needing to like, really take a break, go to the doctor, let's find out what's going wrong. This, your body, your adrenals are shutting down and there's still an absence of listening to this radical self-love self-care process that you went through and taking care of yourself to then arrive at hearing this deep voice of knowing and having that take you to your next transition. Absolutely. But you have to, you have to have the whole story, right? You can't shut down, quit and say, all right, take, take me to the next place. Right. It's a, and it's a process. And so Mm -hmm. your tenacity and your commitment to yourself is the thing that has to be foundational. Mm -hmm. I love that. that It has to be Mm non-negotiable. 
Mm-hmm. And that's uh, just your language and, and what I'll say to my patients in, in my office as well, is that we're just trying to you know, teach people to drink more water, to rest, to put their phone down, to get up and move. I mean, it's really basic things that we can do. Um, you know, none, none of the things that we went through um, and that my patients go through are all of that earth shattering. It's about the food. It's about how you feel yourself and how you care for yourself. But it, the bottom line is it is not, it is no longer an option. That's right. And I love what you just said about drink water. Mm-hmm. Across from my desk, there is a treadmill and a <laughs> and I, and I get up several times a day and do that. And I take my dogs walking, mm-hmm. but I do something to just keep my energy flowing. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes it's sitting down and reading, or sometimes it's meditating, but it's really, it's like, I tell my clients, until this becomes a habit for you, that thing called a calendar is for you to put yourself on it. Yes. And how often, and how often do we ask people, like, what's important? What are your obligations? What are you doing today? And we will list there. And I am super guilty of this. And I think I've even been called out on it in a podcast, Mm -hmm. but how often do we say, oh, I have my family, my work, my parents, my child, my spouse, my this, my that, my, and do we even mention ourselves, let alone do we make it on the bottom of the list? We need to be at the top because if we are not fed, watered, and moved, we're basically, you know, complicated puppy dogs, not fed, watered, and moved, we're not what, what, how can we serve any of these other places that has become such an obligated part to be? Yeah. You know, um, it's one of the reasons I created women creating our futures, you know, um, Mm -hmm. and, and our programs, you know, we have a, a, a 10 week mastermind program where women come in and we just really work with them on this very thing. It's like, Mm -hmm. it's like, um, you first, love you, nurture you, care for you, mm-hmm. right? And then the women that go into our all program, which is for entrepreneurs, which is like a year program. I mean, they are the center. We teach them that they are the center of everything, not the business. Hmm. And so mm-hmm. the more they love, care and nurture themselves, the more prosperous they become, the more successful they become, because we're giving them all these other tools with all our classes and our teachers and all of mm-hmm. that. But, but they have to be accountable in, in, their, in their large group and the small group on their self-care. And if they're mm-hmm. not, they're being called out on it because they can see the correlation between the lack of self-care and what's happening in the business. Mm-hmm. And it does always turn out that way too, is that where the chaos comes from, it comes from the head, it comes from who's steering the ship. And if that's you and everything about you is in chaos, why, why would you expect the thing that you're driving to not reflect that as well? Exactly. And, and if we're not speaking to female entrepreneurs, we can speak to, to women heads of households and it, what, whatever boat you're driving, whatever <laughs> ship you're driving, the chaos follows you. The exactly. health follows you. So tell us more about your book and what what kind of wisdom and, and, um, and inspiration you're bringing to, to women looking for that kind of guidance and, and direction? Well, um, as I mentioned in the, um, the subtitle, it's, it's, it's about who are you being phenomenal at home and at work, which means personally and professionally. And so, mm-hmm. so every chapter that's in there, you know, I, I talk about 
how you choose yourself. And then I interviewed people that I've worked with and I had them write in that, whatever that topic was, what they had to do to take care of themselves, to love themselves, Mm -hmm. honor themselves. Um, And, 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 and I, I broke it down because, you know, even um, when you're working for someone else, you know, the tendency is to say, oh, I can do that. Oh, I can do that. Oh, mm-hmm. I, I can do that. And so you keep taking on more and more and more. And you, you cease to realize that no is a complete sentence. <laughs> that you get to say, I am... I, I can't do that. I can't add one more thing. Oh my gosh. I just feel like we need that plaque. No is a complete sentence. That's yes. Done. And because when we do say no, there, there is this tendency of, but let me tell you why my no is valuable right now. Let me back that up either with self-deprecation or how I've already overserved someone else, because those are kind of our only two options, right? That's what we're taught. Right. And you do not have to defend your no. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, but here's the thing, you know, there's a very old book called The Dance of Anger. And it, and it talks mm-hmm. about the fact that when you that when you change uh, a way of operating with someone, you're changing mm-hmm. the dance and then they try to pull you back onto the dance floor do, doing it the way they did. And so, yeah, so not everybody's going to love your no. Not mm-hmm. everybody's going to agree with your no. And some people will try to find ways to pull you back so you can get rid of that no. But for me, it's like um, we teach people how to treat us. And so if you are not taking care of yourself and you're just giving yourself away, then people expect it and they Mm -hmm. they ask for more because it's never enough. Right. They're wanting something that cannot be achieved from the outside. Mm -hmm. And no one is going to protect you the way that you should protect you. That's right. I love that. And the... Um, the dance metaphor, I was thinking about that. Uh, my husband and I went through couples counseling some years ago. And as one of us was changing our behavior and one of us was saying like, look at this, I'm taking better care of myself. Look at me being such a better individual. This is the partner I'm supposed to show up as. And suddenly everything in the home would just went to shit. It, it was terrible. Like suddenly we were, fi- we were literally bumping into each other. Like there wasn't enough space in our house the dance had changed and the person who hadn't changed, who hadn't made that aha moment was still dancing to the old steps. And I think that's another moment where we want this light switch. We want this silver bullet to say, well, I changed now everybody get in line. Well, they have to dance different with you or let you step off the dance floor entirely. Yeah. And, and the other thing I, I think is important is that if you keep doing everything for someone else, the message that you are transmitting is that they are not capable, Hmm. that they cannot, they cannot handle their life, that you're the savior. You're the only place that can do that. Mm -hmm. And wow. What if we were all operating at an optimal level? I, I, I think we would be, more at peace. We wouldn't see so much division. We wouldn't be so stressed because, because everybody would be pulling their weight. Mm-hmm. It's true. And I think we get a little bit lost in that and, and then take that sense of pride into martyrdom 
into, I did all of these things for you and now you owe me. And Mm -hmm. that's the perpetuating cycle. That's the stories and the containers that we see played generation after generation in the family of, I did everything for you. So now you'll do everything for me. And then you'll get your shot when your next generation does everything for you. Yes. Yes. At some point, we just have to cut and say, you know, I might've grown up with that, but that's not how you're going to pay me back. I'm going to get it from myself. Right. That's exactly right. Exactly right. Oh, beautiful. Oh, well, I feel like there is so much more to talk about, especially when it comes to these cultural implication in the, in these containers that we go into. Um, and I know we talked about before about how we're so trained into these roles and it's a little bit of a rebellion. And I'm wondering if there is another kind of a, a parting message to throw in here about just what we're kind of coming up against, not just within our family systems, but within our cultural systems. And as we wrap back to this conversation at the beginning of how the whole world is changing, how can taking care of ourselves not just be part of a revolution for our personal lives and our work and our home, but honestly what the world kind of needs right now? You know, I think we're, we're watching a lot going on and a lot of division. But for me, the undergirding of the division is people wanting to be heard, wanting to be seen, wanting to feel important, wanting wanting to have a voice. And because um, it's so um, it's so hard because mixed in with it, mm-hmm. you've got struggle. You've got survival, you know, you've got illness, you know, I, I think everything that, that, that people have gone through having a worldwide pandemic is and being set down and isolated is all of a sudden it's like there's an awareness that the coping mechanisms aren't there, mm. how to take care of ourselves because we've been in movement. We've just gone to the next thing, to the next thing, to the next thing. And mm-hmm. so so for me, it's really, um, yes, there are issues, you know, yes, there are, you know, you know, whether it's about gender, race, money, what, what there are issues that need to be addressed. But the truth is we are all human. And the truth is we're all really interconnected on some level. Mm-hmm. If something's happening over here, it's happening over here, you know, um, <clears throat> And so what can we do individually to care for ourselves, but then to bring that energy into our families, mm-hmm. into our communities, into our nation, into our world. And that takes work because it means we have to listen to each other. That means we have to honor the fact that we may not agree, but we do not have to be unkind and uncaring with each other. Mm-hmm. And that's not easy. Um, you know, polarization is a very interesting thing, <laughs> yeah. but it's, but it's, I feel like things like what you're doing, a podcast, like my podcast, like, like people writing, like, like blogs, all that stuff. We get to, um, we get to invite people to the table Mm-hmm. Say, I hear you. I know you're in pain. I get that, you know, and, and 
what is it that you really want? I believe the answer to that question is love. Mm -hmm. I agree. And it, it makes me think just a couple of things that you brought up. Um, one, you know, as we talk about this whole last year and all the coping mechanisms that are no longer serving us, it made me think of um, when you're talking about, you know, all, all your decades of practice and meditation, but you couldn't sit still. And I think that despite whatever level of health or uh, contentment we have all found within our lives leading up until this last year, Perhaps it was a med- it was like that meditation, but none of us were sitting still. And suddenly we had to sit still and come to a reckoning with what was important and what we valued in our life and where we wanted to be. And you talk about then taking that to your family and to your community and to the world. And it's that gift of authenticity, but it's also that conversation about a dance. So often we think that self-care, if we can get past the bubble baths and the manicure and really understand that self-care is this righteous self-love and nurturing that everyone deserves, well, then everyone deserves it. And we all need to learn to dance with each other in that authenticity. So if I'm giving up my mask and you're giving up your mask, we're going to bump into each other for a minute, but we'll find our rhythm. Yes, exactly. I mean, we do that with our children. You know, it's like we help them. We want to support and guide them, but we also want them to find their originality and and their authenticity. You know, the two dogs that just came flying in here to meet with me, (laughs) the puppies and same thing. It's like you create a space for them, but you want them to experience the freedom of who they are individually. And so Mm -hmm. I, um, I I think there is an extraordinary opportunity on this planet in this moment Mm -hmm. for us to begin to realize that everyone matters. Beautiful. I can't think of a better, better way to end on a, something that resonates that beautifully. Well, Cynthia, if people want to learn more, find your book, find your Ted talk, where, where can they find you? How can they resource you or you resource them or however that goes. (laughs) James.net. I mean, there's a lot of stuff there. Um, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Facebook and uh, Instagram. Instagram is Cynthia James 777. And you can also go to womencreatingourfutures.com. There's a lot of programs that I have for women. Wonderful. And where and when is your book available? It's on Amazon right now. It's called I Choose Me, The Art of Being a Phenomenally Successful Woman at Home and at Work. Beautiful. So dive in, dive deeper into this conversation and the concept of of what it is to really take back our space and become part of that crucial change. And it starts, it starts here. It starts with us. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you next time for another episode of Healing Ground Movement. In the meantime, be well. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed what you heard and got a little something out of it. Now remember, the information expressed in these interviews is for informational and not diagnostic or treatment purposes. However, I hope you find that having the right information and resources can go a long way to helping you on your healthcare journey. Ask the right questions and seek out professional help.